the Lord has been very clear to me and like, I have not told you to do anything. Mm. Stay still, stay still. Just keep doing what you're doing. Be diligent, do it well. Let's be clear. Cause like God doesn't bless messes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I'm thinking about like, you know, what some older people may say, God doesn't bless mess, do it well. But just stay still and keep doing what I've instructed you to do until I give you clear direction that it's time to shift. I'm Ashley White, the host of Joy on the Journey podcast, a weekly podcast all about defining, finding, and maintaining joy on the journey of life. I am so excited about this episode. We may have had to reschedule it a time or two. Life has been happening. But I'm so grateful that we have the time to meet. And I want to introduce to some of you all and really highlight to everybody this week's guest. Her name is Priscilla Barbara Randall. Priscilla is the Director of Federal and State Government Affairs for Vistra Corporation an integrated power generation and retail electric company based in Irving, Texas. In her current role, she lobbies throughout the state of Texas, California, and Connecticut and supports federal government affairs on behalf of Vistra and its 5 million customers. However, prior to joining Vistra in 2018, she worked on Capitol Hill, y'all as a federal Black Caucus Foundation fellow and staffer for former Congressman Cedric Richmond. Y'all, this lady is on the move, and I'm so excited that we got her now at this part of her journey. Sis, thank you so much for joining the podcast. No, thank you so much for having me, Ashley, and I'm so happy to be a part of this incredible vision that you've put together to celebrate women and their journey and you know where they've gotten to where they are now so I'm just happy to be a guest and I'm excited about our conversation. Priscilla and I go all the way back to a couple years ago where we both found out that we are actually related. Our yes. my grandmother and her family, her direct family, I was like, what do you mean? Oh, this is cool. <laughs> yes, I know. That was so funny how we found that out. Of course, we share a mutual community through being, you know, graduates of Prairie View A&M University, but then to also find out that we are also family and found out in the backwoods of Bivens, Texas, when you and your grandmother visited my my grandmother's yes. home, um, it was it was an exciting connection to make, and I'm so happy about it. Absolutely. So this podcast is all about defining, finding, and maintaining joy on the journey of life. And Priscilla is proof that Prairie View produces productive people. Absolutely. So I am excited to hear about how you define joy. You know, it's so funny. I was thinking about this question earlier today, and my definition of joy is uh, it's not a feeling. It's something that you have to find and it's something you have to continuously fight for. But it's this unshakable contentment, mm -hmm. knowing that despite everything that's happening inside you and around you, 
you cannot be moved. The joy that you have was put inside of you for a reason. You found it and you have to keep fighting for it. So that's my definition of joy. Um, it has been tested. Trust and believe me. Um, I would not be being honest if I would say that this journey has been easy. But despite everything that has happened, whether it's sadness, anger, fear, grief, I've experienced all of it. There's something inside of me that cannot be moved. And it's a contentment and a peace knowing that like my heart can hope and my heart can have joy and my heart can smile despite the circumstances around me. But the most important thing I've learned is joy is worth fighting for because some days that's all you have is the little bit of joy in your heart. That's all you have. Um, and I've definitely been there. So that's that's my definition. Oh, that's so good. Joy worth fighting for and the hope, having hope in your heart that there's better ahead. Oh, that's so, so good. So I wonder though, has this always been your definition of joy? You know what? Um, I, I said it's worth fighting for because there have been days where I've literally had to fight for it. It has not always been my definition, but it's something that I've grown into over the years. And then it's it, what's so funny is this kind of peace and contentment has always been with me, despite, you know, the many circumstances that um, I, I've experienced in my life from loss at a young age, being a caretaker as a teenager, um, experiencing struggles in college and graduate school, you know, moving to another state, being by myself, starting a, a new career. In all of those things, I have had joy and contentment in my heart, knowing that um, I'm always doing the thing that I feel like I've been led or called to do. And that despite anything happening, I can stand in that peace knowing that God has my back always and in, in all things. Um, and I think that's where my joy has come from. And that's how I've maintained it. Thank you for sharing that. And you've also, you know, just mentioned having loss at an early age and being a caregiver as, as a teenager. One thing that we also have in common is loving someone and losing someone um, with dementia, Alzheimer's. Yes. During those experiences, how was you, how has your faith been stretched and then been bolstered up by knowing that God is God is real. I think in those moments, that's where I've experienced God the most. You know, when I first noticed the decline of my, my father who passed away in 2015, uh, we did not know for a very long time that he was struggling with dementia. Um, and when we first started to notice it, I was about 15 or 16 years old. My father, who was the hardest working person I have ever known my entire life, always had a job, woke up at 4.30 every day, um, and, you know, very routine. And you start to see that person decline, um, and it is very hard. And at 15 and 16 years old, I kind of had to shift my role in being a child and being a caretaker. And, you know, my mother and my siblings and I, did everything that we can to care for him. And in those days, you know, I see my friends, <laughs> they're doing things that typical teenagers could do on a weekend and I was not, or, you know, after school participating in different activities. And I was sitting in doctor's appointments. Um, and then, you know, to make the decision to go to college, you know, three and a half hours away from home, knowing that I would be putting 
a lot of that burden of the care that my mom and I were providing my dad exclusively on my mom and then on my siblings uh, was an incredibly hard decision. But I think, you know, my faith was stretched, but also reinforced in that, like, I knew my father wanted nothing more than for me to chase after my dreams. I'm the youngest of four. All of his kids have college degrees. All of his kids completed college in four years. That's something that he was incredibly proud of as someone who was not able to attend college. But the beautiful thing is my dad made sure all of his sisters who wanted to go to college attended college. And he started working at an early age because education meant that much to him. So I knew that we had a, a shared mission in that I go and I finish uh, but the hardest part was like my senior year, you know, I was student body president of Prairie View and University. I was incredibly blessed uh, to be in that student leadership role. I was taking 18 hours. I was preparing for graduate school. And I was also preparing for my father to go into hospice. And most people had no idea that I would leave Prairie View on a Friday night because I needed to be in Dallas on Saturday to see him or to help my family or to, you know, make arrangements. And that's where my faith was really, really stretched. <laughs> I know God is real. And I know that God gave me the strength to push through that and gave my dad the strength to push through that. Because one thing that he had committed to memory somehow was my graduation date. Like he knew that I was graduating this day, this time in Prairie View. And it was like a month leading up, he would call my mom every day, like, are you coming to get me today? Today's the graduation. Um, and she's like, no, not today. We still have a little bit more time. I say all that to say, um, my dad saw me walk the stage. The president of Prairie View presented my degree to my parents uh, because that was really important to me that they be incorporated. And you know, very few people knew what I was struggling with as a student leader caretaker. <laughs> mm -hmm. But after that day, my dad never spoke again. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't think I was going to get emotional this early. <laughs> We're going to blame the pregnancy hormones. Yes. But, um, he never said another word. And I know for a fact that it was God keeping him and, and giving him the strength to continue to push forward so he could be there and be present and be active in my special day. You know, my dad suffered a great deal in his last year of life from having, you know, amputations, from going from being a fully independent person at home to being in a nursing facility. It was just such a drastic change in such a short time. But um, my graduation date meant so much to him because that was his goal. All of his kids graduate, they do it in four years and he could see it. The very next day, my dad never spoke again and his health immediately declined. And within seven months, he was no longer with us. Mm. And I say, I know God is real because I heard my dad speak again two days before he passed. And he said, you know, be sure to tell your mother I'll always love her. And I was like, what is even happening right now? Like you haven't spoken in seven months. And then this is the first thing that you say. How is this even happening? And so that was a moment where my faith was tested, but also reassured and reaffirmed that I know God is real. I know love is real. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, um, to be with his heavenly father in peace because he said everything that he needed to say with the limited words he had. So um, that's one example of where my faith was stretched, but also reaffirmed. And I feel like after living through, you know, so many years of that, there's very little that can test me, mm -hmm. at least 
That's what I thought. And then nine months later, my sister unexpectedly and tragically passed away at 36 years old. So that was also an earth shattering moment for me because she was a perfectly healthy 36 year old woman, uh, went in for a routine surgery, came out of that surgery, but never recovered. Um, And it ended up being fatal. And at 22, (laughs) 23, I'm like, what is happening? Why is my world falling apart? And it's in those moments where I thought that I could not go on or that everything around me was just completely falling apart. And I found this weird peace and this joy that like God is doing this for a reason. Um, And I have never questioned God in those circumstances. And the older I've gotten and more time has passed, I know for a fact that God was just reaffirming and reassuring me that despite whatever's happening, you can still have peace in knowing that my purpose and my promises are are real and I will always keep and protect you. Mm. Oh, that's so good. I see God in everything, big, little, small. Um, You know, my whole life, I've always been like a decent student. Like I always got like B plus, A minus, just because Mm -hmm. I've always had too much going on. Um, and I was in graduate school and the semester my dad died was the first time I ever had a 4.0 in my life. And then my sister passed away the following semester and I had a 4.0 and I was taking like the most difficult classes in my program. And I don't even remember most days. Like it was a blur. Wow. Um, I had friends, thankfully, who prayed for me, who brought me food, uh, who would ask me if I've eaten, if I've showered, if Mm -hmm. I've done just the basic things to Mm -hmm. keep myself up because I could not do that some days. And to see God show himself at the end of those semesters, I believe it was God showing himself in a 4.0 when I've never had that. (laughs) I was just like blown away at how he can keep you and show himself no matter how big or how small. Yeah, no, I think that is so important for people to understand that even in the midst of all of this, God kept you, he preserved you, he restored you, and he shielded you from the things that would have distracted you, right? (laughs) Easily, easily. And everybody would have been like, well, you know. Everybody would have understood. Everybody would have understood. Yeah. But it even speaks to your inner strength um, and your love and the way you've honored, you know, your father and, and your sister. And we'll talk about your love for your mom when we talk oh, about yeah. <laughs> um, how you have honored them, but honored yourself well. I want to talk about the importance of a village, mm. the importance yeah. of partnership and partnering with good people. How important is it that you have partnerships and friendships where they see you? the best in you, even when you aren't able to see it yourself. It is so important. And, you know, Ashley, the funny thing about me that people probably won't believe is that like, I'm, I'm truly an introvert. Somehow I have a job that forces me to be an extrovert. I'm, I'm always in positions or in rooms where I'm having to be an extrovert, but people who know me know my circle is very, very tight Um, And these are people that, you know, I will do anything for them and they will do anything for me. And I've picked them up, you know, throughout the course of my life. But my village, like I said, the days where I could not shower, I could not eat, I could not, you know, do my assignments. 
um, they showed up for me and vice versa. The most important thing I think that people don't always acknowledge is the importance of showing up and sometimes mm -hmm. just being there, not doing anything, but just being there. Um, my, my closest friends, my best friend, one lives in Ithaca, New York, and one lives in Fresno, California. Wow. We don't get to talk every day, but if I call them, I kid you not, right now, and I needed anything, they would make it happen and, and vice versa. And I think um, when you find your village, you have to love on them and mm -hmm. show up for them and be there for them. Um, sometimes when they're able to, they're not able to do that for themselves. And I think that's what has made my friendship so beautiful is that I never have to question the motives that they have. Um, I never have to question whether they support me or they love me. I've never felt like I've had to shrink or feel small or dim my light for us to share, you know, the same room. And I know they feel that same way. Um, and, you know, I have friends that I've, I've acquired in being an adult where, you know, I've known them maybe the shortest amount of time, but they cheer for me and they cheer hard and they yeah. cheer every time. <laughs> They've never gotten tired of cheering for me. And, and the feeling is definitely mutual. Oh, that's beautiful. And I, I thank you for sharing the importance of friendship and support. My mother has a really good friend, Miss Washington. Shout out to Miss Washington. She uh, is a prayer warrior. And she said something um, to me very similar when my grandmother passed. She surprised my mother and I by flying to Houston for the services. She was here for less than eight hours. Mm -hmm. Flew in from Chicago, attended the service and was back on the plane back to Chicago that afternoon. And she said to us while we're weeping in the church, because, oh, my God, she came. Right. She mm -hmm. said, love shows up. Always. Always. And that is just so impactful. And I'm grateful for the people in our lives who show up, whether it's the physical presence, it's the text messages, it's the, it's the prayers. Mm -hmm that you know you are surviving <laughs> because people are literally praying for your survival. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've had to, you know, pray, pray for each other's survival. Um, you know, I think about my mom, she would, she has this saying where it's not about kinship, it's about relationship. Mm. And she has said that previously in context of, you know, my father, when they met and got married, already had children from his previous relationship. And she you know, became a part of their village and raised them from very young people uh, to now where like you would think that they were they were her children that she birthed. Um, but of course, you know, she respects their mother and the role that she plays in their life. But she would always say it's not about kinship. It's about relationship. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that <laughs> because on some of my darkest days when I couldn't go to family, because, you know, we're all suffering or living through the same experience. Mm -hmm. um, and that may not be the healthiest thing for us to, you know, go through together. Uh, my village has had to surround me and show me love. So I am a huge believer that you are only as strong as your village. Yeah. And anybody that thinks that they're out here doing it alone, they are living in a false reality. They're delusional. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So our conversation can take so many different paths and different journeys. But I want to ask, because of your various life experiences, 
that they wouldn't know that you have such a story, such a rich history that undergirds you and gives you such a solid foundation. But then we look at politics, which is, <laughs> you know, it can be, oh, yeah, yeah. It can be a lot of things um, that are not solid and foundation and supportive and love. <laughs> so when did this interest of politics and policy begin for you? I have loved politics, policy, news, history, as long as I could remember. And this is um, another example of me just like trusting and depending on God. Like I have always had a passion for all of this, current events, politics. Uh, my mom would tell people like growing up, my favorite shows were 2020 and 60 Minutes. Because I would sit there and watch it and then give like a whole report. I would wait. I would watch 60 Minutes over the weekend and then like go to my preschool and give a whole report on what was on the news. Um, <laughs> in preschool, they wouldn't even like, I would get an, an exemption. I didn't have to take a nap. And they were like, as long as you watch the news and you can tell us what the headlines were, you don't have to take a nap. But I've always loved it. However, um, I did not know that like jobs like mine existed or that I could make a career out of it. Um, and that's why I'm so adamant about telling people like to be a part of the process. You don't have to be an elected official. Some people feel as though you do, but we all have a role to play. But, you know, uh, my dad was a blue collar worker and a member of the Teamster Union. And I would go to, you know, Teamster town halls. I'd <laughs> be the like one kid there because he shouldn't have a kid my age, first of all. And then uh, <laughs> that's another story for another day. But I would sit there and I would be so engaged and so interested. And then, you know, my mom was a precinct judge and worked the polls and I would volunteer with her. Um, and when I became 17 and three fourths, I registered to vote as soon as I was eligible. And my uh, very first election, I'll never forget. I even remember what I had on because I came from school, um, 18 years old. It was a, it was a local election. So it was in May of I think that was um, 20 May of 2010. Um, I did not get to vote in the 2008 presidential election. I really wanted to. But my parents and I walked into my elementary school where my mom would work the polls and we voted as a family for the first time. Um, but I went to college initially to study nursing um, <laughs> because my yeah, that phase. Yeah. Everybody who says that they're like, what? I started out as a pre-nursing major. Um, I thought, you know, stability. Um, I had already been a caretaker. Okay. Most my teenage years, I already had like my CNA license, so I could go and work in a nursing you had your CNA license when? When I was in high school, you can get it as early as 17. Okay. <laughs> so like I had this whole plan. I'm telling you, when I graduated high school, I was like, I'm gonna go to nursing school. This is my plan. I'm gonna be in the healthcare field. And then my freshman year, I did not do great because I did not enjoy it. Like I'm one of those people where I have to love it mm -hmm. to be invested. But then um, I'll never forget uh, the summer going into my sophomore year. Uh, Texas had had like a, a budget issue. The state, they were making cuts to um, education programs throughout the state. And I was just like, this doesn't make sense to me. 
um, I feel like I need to do something about this. And uh, that afternoon, without telling my parents, I drove down to Prairie View. I was in Dallas. And I changed my major to political science and I never looked back. And my dad was like, <laughs> you're never going to make any money with a political <laughs> science degree. Like what, what kind of job are you going to get? And I'm like, I have no idea, but I really think that, you know, I've been, I've, I'm being called to do something in politics and I'm passionate about it. And it was the best decision I could have ever made. Because um, from that decision, so many doors have opened that I didn't even think were possible. So I graduated college, went to graduate school, thinking that I wanted to be a city manager. Okay. And I was like, because I love local government. Um, I was a part of the, the Dallas Youth Commission as a high schooler. I just love local government. So I'm in my last year of my graduate program, and I start studying energy and environment policies and how it impacts cities. I've been hooked on energy and environment policy ever since. It's a very niche policy area, very nuanced and complicated, but we all need water, power, and food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I found a professor, you know, those were the issues he was working on, the nexus between energy, food, and water, and how societies thrive with those three things. And then I had the opportunity to intern with the company I now work for, it was Energy Future Holdings then. Um, it's now Vistra Energy. And I've been in energy policy now eight years as a result of that opportunity. And it's just, a, a, like I said, an example of being open to opportunities as they come up. Mm -hmm. But also, I've always been careful about not being super prescriptive about what I want to do. Mm. And also about who I want to be what I want to learn, what impact I want to have, um, and trust that God will present the right opportunities for me to do whatever he's called me to do in those spaces. So um, whether that's working on energy policy at the federal level for a member of Congress and for the Committee of Jurisdiction, um, or it's what I do now, working in different states, advocating for policies to benefit, like you said, our 5 million customers, it has been, uh, I think, a testament of God knowing what I needed, even when I didn't, and just kind of leaning in and trusting and, and taking those leaps of faith and betting on myself, but also being prepared when the opportunities come. I want you to know I am over here. I am still stuck <laughs> on who I want to be. <laughs> I am taking notes on my phone because that's so good to not get caught up on the title or the position yeah. or, yeah. or the, the company either, really, right? Because we know companies come and go, unfortunately, but it's who you believe God has purposed you and created you to be, the impact that you want to leave, your legacy that you want to, to leave a solid foundation of. And then yielding yourself to however and wherever God calls you to go. Yes. So good. But it's also so hard. Oh, absolutely. Because like I'm a control freak. <laughs> I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. I even like, you know, as I, I'm an expectant mother, as I enter this new journey and I'm thinking about how my professional life will evolve. Like the other day I had to pray. I'm like, Lord, whatever you tell me to do. That's what I'll do. I will trust you. 
I know that you have already created your perfect plan for me. You know what I want. You know the desires of my heart. And I know that you have my back. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving it in your hands. That's it. That's all I can do. Yeah. Um, and it's truly releasing that false sense of control that we think we have over our lives mm-hmm. and just, just trusting God's plan. Oh, so good. So good. And it's, it's so honest and transparent because I think we have all been in that position where, oh, I really, really want to do this thing, but God is leading me this way. But uh, mm-hmm. you sure, God? <laughs> you sure? Yes. <laughs> look how shiny that is over there. Come on, God. Come on. Right. Look at right. way. Right. Uh, but that's such a sweet place to be in to know I am releasing it all to you. Yes. Yes. And you will perfect that which concerns me. And, you know, it's hard for people like me who are, I, I, I say I'm like a natural busybody. Mm. It's hard for me to be still. And like the Lord has been very clear to me. And like, I have not told you to do anything. Mm. Stay still, stay still. Just keep doing what you're doing. Be diligent do it well. Let's be clear. Cause like God doesn't bless messes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm thinking about like, you know, what some older people may say, God yes. doesn't bless mess, do it well, but just stay still and keep doing what I've instructed you to do until I give you clear direction that it's time to shift. Mm. Oh, that's so good. What is your practice or do you have a practice of stillness and and seeking God and hearing from him. Yes. So (laughs) um, I start every day, every day I wake up, I say a prayer. I I read my devotion. Sometimes every day I don't have as much time as I would like, but like my time in the shower, Mm. because I take long showers. I'm in there about 15, 20 minutes is like when I have that quiet time, that stillness, Sometimes I'll have a podcast playing or I'll have a sermon playing or I'll have some music playing. But my mind, that that's the time I'm using to kind of like get ready for the day, pray, thank God, you know, kind of aff- speak some affirmations, some positive sayings to, you know, kind of get myself going. But my time in the shower is... Um, <laughs> very special to me Mm -hmm. um, because that is where I do find a little bit of stillness. Uh, I used to, you know, go to the gym um, every other morning. And that Mm -hmm. was also my place at five o'clock AM. It was like the place where I go and do the one thing for me that I know I'll have this one hour to myself. And it was completely uninterrupted. I didn't look at my work phone. You know, I, my husband knew where I was. My mom knew where I was. Uh, it was just me, God, and my trainer. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, we, we, we work out to gospel music the whole time <laughs> uh, because my trainer, he's just as adamant about like creating this space for you for this amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say when I could go to the gym, the gym, but definitely the shower every day, I find that stillness to kind of just be with myself because I I do live in my head a lot. Mm -hmm. So I have to have moments where I I decompress kind of reset and then get ready for the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also agree. I get some of my best ideas in the (laughs) shower and I am, 
I get my best thoughts or something I've been praying about or thinking about going, ah, there it is. And then I'm like, oh, (laughs) I need to write it down because something also happens once that water cut off. My right. What was that thing? Right. That's so true. Um, But it's also something cleansing, literally cleansing about the water and the steam and taking all of that in. Yes. It purifies you in a way, um, literally and and figuratively, to really be receptive of of the moment. Absolutely. So, y'all, spend a little more time in the shower. Okay, create quiet time. Like our house is quiet in the morning. My husband doesn't really talk in the morning. I don't really talk in the morning. And it's great. (laughs) Find what works for you. Yes. When you mentioned to your parents, yeah, yeah, not nursing, political science, this this something, energy, something here for me. What was was your mother's reaction? (laughs) My mom was like, first of all, how did you go and do this without talking to us first? Second of all, what is your plan? And I was, and I, look, (laughs) my mom will tell you I've been opinionated since the second I've been able to talk and I've never been shy about sharing that opinion. And I had to remind her, I was like, well, the degree will only have one name on it. Hey. So uh, whatever happens, I'm responsible for that. Um, Two, my plan is to do what I'm passionate about. And I think whatever that looks like career-wise, it'll come together when it's supposed to. And I think, you know, my parents coming from very rural East Texas, Mm -hmm. very little resources and, you know, had to kind of create a life for themselves when they moved, when they moved to Dallas. Stability is very important to them. Like having a job, working that job, uh, having a plan, it's very important to them. So um, also when I said, you know, I think I'm going to go to graduate school because I want to be a city manager. My dad was like, you're never going to make any money. (laughs) He's like, you're going to be in school forever. You're going to have a bunch of debt. Uh, Are you sure that's a good idea? Nursing, it just brings so much security. Mm. So I think in some ways I've always made my parents nervous because I've not, I don't seek security. I'm not afraid being uncomfortable. But then, too, I think they've always trusted me because, like I said, um, I'm very opinionated. (laughs) Once my mind is made up, my mind is made up. But also, I think they knew that, like, I really was certain that this was the right thing for me. And I knew that God would work it out. Um, And they were like, whatever, do whatever you think. (laughs) A little convincing because they were just like, you, you're never going to have any money. Um, and you know, there's no stable career in politics and what do you want to do? Run for office. So part of, I think my success was also wanting to prove to them that like, look, you were wrong all those years ago. Look at me now. But then another part was, I think they really did trust and they knew that like, I would not do anything that could compromise my, my ability to be successful, but also myself, my integrity. Um, and they just kind of, they rolled with it, but it took a little convincing. Oh, that's so good. Priscilla, you are a um, outstanding young woman who is at just the beginning of where God has in store, what God has in store for you. I want to ask, why is it important 
that more women and people of color get engaged in the political process? Oh my gosh, that is such an excellent question. Um, and I tell people all the time, they think of politics and they think of elected officials, they think of chaos, they think Democrat, Republican, they think, um, you know, it, it, it looks a certain kind of way. Mm -hmm. um, and I remind people, especially young women, uh, that is my passion, uh, working with young women who are interested in public service and in and, and government. But I try to remind young women of color specifically, there is a place for you, even if you have to carve it out. Mm -hmm. When I worked on Capitol Hill, um, this was seven years ago when I started, there were only two black women who worked on energy policy out of the 435 house offices. Wow. Two. Two. And then I look at my industry, what I do now, I'm a lobbyist, I'm a registered lobbyist. Uh, people don't realize businesses have political interests as well, and they need people who know the process to help them advocate mm -hmm. in their best interest and in the interest of their customers or their consumers. Here in Texas, I can name three Black women who do what I do mm -hmm. uh, for, you know, companies of a similar size and uh, in a similar subject matter area, and at the national level, less than five. Um, and one thing that we've been adamant about is finding new ways to introduce people to our, our field, in particular energy, mm -hmm. and get them interested in energy policy, because whether people believe it or not, everybody wants electricity. Everybody, you know, yeah. you need to gas up your car. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an important policy area that impacts all of our lives, but can sometimes be intimidating. And so finding people and encouraging them and mentoring them and um, making sure that there are pathways for them is something that I think all of us as women in this industry and Black women in this industry have been passionate about. But I will say politics more broadly looks like joining or being active in your homeowners association. It looks like registering to vote. It looks like voting in every election. It, it looks like, you know, if there's a candidate that you support donating to their campaign. I think um, for Black people in particular, and mm -hmm. young Black people in particular, the challenge has been they don't always see how policies and who you elect manifest in your day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like you want that street light on your, on your street to come on, you need to elect a city council person. You care about what your local public schools look like. You need to vote for your state representatives, your state senator, you know, vote for the governor, vote in all of these elections. Um, you care about federal issues. You care about gun rights. You care about civil rights. You care about women's rights. You need to be cognizant of who you're sending to Congress or who your community is sending to Congress. And then I think the most important thing that, um, not everybody agrees with me when I say this. Um, say, for instance, you are a member of one political party or you share one party's political views, but the person who represents you is of another party. Mm -hmm. It's still your responsibility to engage them, to make yeah. sure they know your priorities, that you communicate with them when they do things that you like and when you do things that and when they do things that you don't like. They need to know that even though they're a member of this party, they still represent a broader community. 
So um, I tell people all the time, you know, in my personal life, I have my own political views, but in my professional life, I have to be Democrat, Republican, independent. However, I don't have to compromise my integrity or my values. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe what I believe, but I have seen a lot of success. I tell you, people get along more than they portray Mm -hmm. on social media and, you know, um, out there in the news. But I've seen a lot of success with like local initiatives and people who are just, you know, constituents, Mm -hmm. very powerful voices and making making significant change. So I think never undervalue the role that you play as a person who has the right to vote and who has access to the ballot and who has put that person in a position of power. They owe you. They represent you. even though you may not always agree, you have to make sure your voice is heard and you're a part of the process. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's a good stump speech right there. That is good. Because uh, it is remi- it's a reminder to each of us the weight of the responsibility doesn't end at the poll. No, no. It doesn't end you have cast your ballot. Um, especially if you are invested in the future. Because each of us, whether you are having children, you're going to expand your family, there is someone, there's another generation coming that yeah. will have to bear the errors that yes. we make. Yes. And, you know, voting is the bare minimum, in my opinion. I think that's the least that we can all do. If we're eligible, that's the least that we can all do. But we all have a responsibility to do more. And what, you know, people who are interested in careers in politics, I try to remind them that there's a broader ecosystem because so many young people, I see them, they're like, oh, I want to run for office one day. And I'm like, well, you know, there's more ways than one to impact and to create public policy. We need more black staffers. We need more black fundraisers. We need more black lobbyists like myself. Um, It's a broader political ecosystem that we all have a role to play. We need more black campaign managers. You know, there's opportunities outside of just being the person with your name on the ballot Mm. to really have a a strong impact. (laughs) I tell people all the time, like I've I've written laws that have become law. You know, I've I've written speeches that have been shared on public stages. Um, People will never know those were my words or that I wrote them. But that doesn't change the impact that it had. Yeah. Uh, so there's always an opportunity, especially if you want to have a career in politics, to 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 find one. Um, I think my very first job in politics was on first real job was on a campaign. Um, I quickly learned campaign life was not for me. And I <laughs> instead of being on the political side, I wanted to be on the policy side. And once I found a policy area I was passionate about, I just I've stuck with that. So something you just spoke about and I want to ask sometimes in in politics or just life in general, it's hard to do be the behind the scenes person. Yes. <laughs> it's hard to see. And especially sometimes in this era that we live in, right, where it's not your name in lights. Oh, yes. How do you handle or have you ever had to face that? Well, why not me? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of moment. 
You know, I never, uh, I won't say I've never wanted to be the person that's like on the front end, but I just realized that there's so much power to being the person behind the scenes, being the trusted advisor, being the person that they know they can call if they have questions, if they need, you know, a certain level of expertise. The thing that I love the most in the roles that I've had is always being the person that they call on. Mm. Um, and it takes a team. This goes back to what I said earlier. None of us can do this alone. Yeah. Even the people that, you know, their name are their names may be in lights. They have a team that's supporting them and helping them grow and thrive and be the best person they could be in that role. And I am perfectly OK with being <laughs> behind the scenes because I know you can be just as effective um, if, if you do your job well. Mm. Oh, so good. So good. Thank you so much for that. I have two more questions in this section. Because I see we're running short on time and I want to get to these. How important is mentorship? And um, who has been your greatest mentor today? Oh, 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 I can't name names because they're <laughs> so but, uh, okay, If you don't want to name names, what are some of your, your greatest mentors' qualities? Yes, I will, I will, I will do that. Um, I believe that mentorship one is a two-way street. Uh, there's a mentor and a mentee, but it has to be mutually beneficial. Like, I don't believe you have you go in as a mentee, for example, expecting to just receive, receive, receive. You also have to be willing to give. I, I, I kind of break my mentors up into two categories, which, of course, I have my mentors, but then I have like my cheerleaders. Um, and these are the people that provide mentorship, but they cheer for me, too. Their, their best qualities is they are always honest with me, whether I like it or not. Uh, when it's hard, they're honest with me. And then two, um, <laughs> one person comes to mind, and I'm not going to name her name, but you have interviewed her previously. Um, but they invest in both you as a professional, but you as a person. Um, and they care about the things that you care about. And they're willing to help you find solutions. Mm -hmm. um, I have one mentor. She's been my mentor since I was 15 years old. And not only does she show up for me, she's honest with me. She cheers for me, but she creates spaces for me. Mm -hmm. So whenever there's an opportunity and they're like, oh, who's someone that can? She never hesitates to say Priscilla. Um, and you know, I have other examples of that and I'm, I've been blessed and fortunate to do some of the things that I've done because I've had mentors who have spoken my names, my name in rooms that, you know, I was not in and also for things that I was not prepared for. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, Oh, you got it. It's fine. I got your back. Just do it. And sometimes they direct me to do things and they don't ask me to do things. And they're just like, trust me. So I think there's, you know, this mutual agreement that we we are here to support each other. Yeah. Uh, there's openness and honesty. There's unconditional support, but there's also like a willingness to create space and opportunities for for me. Um, and they and they'll tell you, I'm not doing this for everybody. I'm doing this for you. Yeah. But then also. <laughs> This last layer is their expectation is what they're doing for you. You're also doing for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. That's good. I love that. 
And yes, I appreciate. Um, she's, a, she's a very good friend. Very, very good friend. I don't want to name drop because I'll have to start name dropping everything. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, final question in this segment, and it's also going to shift to the final segment, which is your journey ahead. You've shared with the audience that you are in a season of expectation um, and preparation as you are in these last couple of weeks before uh, the birth of another world changer, as you are preparing your, your mind to take on this new role um, in this season of transition, how has that been? Oof. <laughs> it has been some days I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm so scared. Like I, I will be responsible, my husband and I for creating a safe environment for this person and shaping them and molding them and loving them. Um, and it's like, where do I even begin? Um, and so, and there's no like, you know, manual for parenting. There's no, 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 no matter the YouTube videos you watch, like you're never prepared. Um, but I think in this season, everything that I've talked about in this last hour I'm just having to really lean into this. Like God's like, oh, you say you trust me, but do you really trust me? <laughs> um, you know, you say you're not going to worry and you're going to lean on me, but are you really going to lean on me? And I think uh, this will just be another opportunity <laughs> to uh, trust God, to trust the village that I've, you know, we've created. Um, I did not mention my husband previously in that village, but like, if I'm being honest, I, I, he's been the best partner that a, a woman in, in my world could ask for and that uh, he's the most supportive, encouraging person you'll ever meet. He is my number one cheerleader, my number one fan. And he's like, whatever you want to do, just do it. Like, I know it'll be fine. And I know that's the type of father he'll be as well. So I have an incredible supportive partner who I know I'm having a little boy, a little black boy. <laughs> so it's very important that I know that he'll have him as a strong mentor and guide. So it's a season of uncertainty. Um, it's a season where I am being tested in all the things I say that I believe. Um, but also it's a season of excitement. Sometimes God gives you what you need when you weren't planning for it or expecting it. Mm -hmm. um, our beautiful surprise here um, has changed me already just through the nine months of being pregnant. It's like my priorities changed overnight. I've always been like a very career driven, mission driven person. And it's like the most important thing I can ever do in my life, I'm doing it right now. I'm becoming a mother. So my priorities have changed a lot. So I'm very excited to see um, how I take, you know, old Priscilla and kind of like fit it into the to this new journey of motherhood. Um, I know I will forever be changed. Our family will forever be changed. My priorities will forever be changed. Yeah. Um, and I'm just excited to see how God will prove himself again mm -hmm. through this beautiful life that we're creating. And I just every day I'm like, Lord, help me to support whatever purpose you've given him. Help mm -hmm. me just like help mold him and shape him into who you want him to be. You know, we're just a conduit. He is yours. We have him for a brief, brief time. I don't own him. 
but I will love him and I will protect him and I will try my best to make sure that, you know, we create the best life possible for him. Just keep me in your prayers. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. At all. And it's like, you know, this is an adjustment, but we're going to figure it out. Yes, you will. I think that answers my last question, which is your hope for the next five years. I believe uh, that has already been asked and answered. If someone has um, an interest in policy or there's a young girl who is watching 2020 and CNN and she's all on MSNBC and has a heart and a passion, but doesn't know yes. that lobbyists exist, um, is are there resources that you're aware of that they can get more information? Or um, if they had questions, are you available for contact? Always available. Um, I, and you can... Find me on social media at Priscilla Barbarando. I answer DMs if I receive them. Uh, but also, um, I sit on the board of an incredible organization based here in Texas called the Polychick Foundation. Um, and the whole purpose is to ensure that there's a place and a role for women to be involved in uh, civic life. It's nonpartisan and it's it has a presence across all 254 counties. I strongly encourage girls and women who are interested in getting more engaged in their community to look up Polychick Texas. We we celebrate women. We are preparing for our second annual bravery brunch where we celebrate the women who are the people who are behind the scenes galvanizing their community, uh, whether they're the poll workers or, you know, they're the um, social action chairperson for their sororities. We think it it will be the everyday women across the state that'll make the biggest change because that's just what we do, whether it's in our homes, in our churches or in our neighborhoods. Um, these women are showing up and they're making a huge difference in, in our, our outcomes politically. So I highly recommend that organization. I would also not be where I am without the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. So I encourage every young person who's interested in a summer internship uh, whether you're in college or if you have your graduate degree or some type of professional degree, uh, the fellowship program, it is what truly launched my career. Mm -hmm. um, I had opportunities that like I would not have had otherwise without participating in that program. And then here in Texas, I would also encourage uh, young folks, uh, young women to look into the uh, Texas uh, legislative internship program, the TLIP program that's sponsored by Texas Southern University. It's oh, an yeah. opportunity to work at the Texas Capitol during the legislative session. Um, and so many people uh, started their careers as TLIPers, and they're now elected officials, chief of, chiefs of staff, uh, some are lobbyists, uh, working in uh, various positions throughout the political system. Um, but there are resources available and I'm always happy to be a resource as well. Oh, man. Thank you. All of that will be in the description of this video or podcast. Sis, thank you so much. No, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed chatting with you. And I hope that uh, I wish nothing but the best for you as you continue you. to explore this journey and, and to continue to create platforms for women to tell our stories because it's it's absolutely important. Yeah, y'all. I know I have been uplifted and encouraged by uh, Priscilla's story. And I know you have as well. So in the comments, please drop your 
favorite takeaway, those things that you're like, yeah, let me look more into this. Let me figure out what are they doing over there? Let me ask more questions and be more invested. Um, but at a minimum, like, share, and subscribe to this podcast as we are attempting to tell women's stories. And until we gather again every single Thursday, may God increase your joy, grant you strength for the journey, and give you the courage to tell your story. Bye, friends. <laughs>